welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello everyone and welcome to a fresh installment of your favorite paranormal podcast. I have one hell of a show assembled for your enjoyment. So sit back, dim the lights, bolt the doors, and turn up the volume. Things are about to get spooky. And to crack the seal on tonight's package, we begin a world away from where I sit tonight. The following is possibly the first of its kind to be shared on the program. So hold on to your butts. This is Patrick's submission from Tasmania. Hi Derek, I absolutely love the show. I have been binging it from the beginning. I wanted to share my creepy story, which is quite creepy and scary, for, and I, it still sits with me sometimes I think about it. But it happened when I was about 12 or 13. This is back in about 1999, I think. I lived in quite a rural area in Australia. I, I live in Tasmania. It was just outside of town, so it was pretty quiet out there, really, really calm, just a lot of trees and nature and... Yeah, my street was quite relaxed. So I was really into wildlife and I really loved just checking out the possums and things like that in the trees. So I like to go spotlighting sometimes. And one night I got my torch and I had to wait until quite late because the possums and the wildlife don't really come out because they're nocturnal. They don't really come out until really late probably about 10 30 or 11 at night so I would wait till then and my parents would just you know they were quite relaxed they just they were happy to just let me go and have a little little look around because it was only up the road so I left the house with my spotlight and I started scoping the trees and having a look and I'd find a few here and there you could see their eyes shimmering back at you it was really cool and I love that kind of stuff and I went a little bit further down and, you know, it's quite dark. It's pitch black, really, and perfect night sky. It was stars were out. It was beautiful. And spent some time having a look around and checking out the possums. And, they would, you know, some of them would do a little little growl here and there at you, and but then they'll just scamper up the tree. But then this is where I come across uh, this thing. It was... I was trying to shine my light. It was quite high. It was really high up in the tree. And it was very, um, there was a lot of uh, leaves and stuff. But I could see these eyes kind of shimmering back at me, you know, as you bring your torch up and with possums and things like that, the the light will reflect from their eyes. And, and, you know, kind of like when you take a photo of someone and they've got that red eye effect. It was like that. And... It wasn't shining red, by the way. It was just reflecting back. I could see these eyes, but they were larger. They were, they were quite large, and they were different. It wasn't a possum. I knew that for a fact. And it sounded heavy as well in the tree. It was quite high. And I could hear it scampering down a bit, and um, a couple of branches would break here and there. And I was kind of oh, just shaken and like stepped back a little bit, and I was... A little bit freaked out so I kept trying to get a better look but as I did I got this horrible 
like straight away there was this horrible growl or, or a big it did it felt like a warning like go away because it was this massive blood curdling kind of screech or uh, more of a it was a bit deeper than that it was kind of like if you've ever heard a a tasmanian devil uh, do their kind of screeches and moans that they do it was it was like that but a lot deeper almost demonic in a way but nothing spiritual this was more of a it was some kind of animal or creature so immediately i started to walk away like back off and and then i heard it rustle down the tree it was like breaking branches and it was rushing down coming down at me and i absolutely freaked out it, it was heavy and so i i ran i sprinted and i kept going and i was like I'd never ran so fast in my life. I was absolutely terrified. And the worst part was I could hear it coming after me. It was it was right like not right behind me. It was it was a fair way off, but I could see in the street lights behind me. I was running across the road because these trees were just next to a road. So I was just running right through the middle of the road and I just was going as fast as I could and I would kind of look back here and there. And I could see shimmers of it in the streetlight, and it was huge. It was not a possum or anything like that. It was bigger than me. So I was only 12 or 13 at the time. So I was probably only in the five foot range. This thing was definitely bigger than me. And I was, I was just running like I'd never run before. And I immediately turned up a hill. There was a steep hill that I lived near. That goes straight up and it's it's really really tall and almost vertical that's how steep i would say it was like and i ran up it like it was nothing that's how fast and panicked i was i i ran up it so quick i could hear it running behind me and it was heavy it was like it it was big it was too dark at the time for me to see but when i got to the top of this hill because i i stopped at the top because i i felt that i had lost it and I looked down at the bottom and there were still street lights around and I could see that it was a large, it was definitely hairy, it was kind of hunched, but it was on two feet. It was on, it was almost like uh, human, but not human in a way. Would, like, uh, I don't know what you would describe it as, but if I had to, I would have said something more along the lines of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of, an Australian Yowie, which is kind of like Bigfoot, but in uh, Australia, it's a different type. I, I think it would have been something like that. That's what I believe it to be. I was a few hundred meters away, probably a hundred meters up the road on top of this hill as I was looking down, probably a hundred meters. So I couldn't get any kind of close look at the face, but it was just pacing back and forth in like a circle like looking up at me and it was like angered it was as if it was just trying to scare me off i don't i don't really believe that it was trying to hurt me i think that it was just warning me off and i could hear it uh, doing that blood curdling growl at the bottom of the hill and it was quite heavy breathing kind of more of a big pant like that's what i could kind of faintly hear at, at the bottom of that hill it was quite far away but I basically got a visual of a big silhouette of it walking back and forth, pacing, uh, just looking up at me as like, stay away, you know, that 
just stuck with me. So I left straight away after I got a bit of a visual of it. I didn't want to go home the way that down that hill I went. I had to, I literally had to walk an entire block around the opposite way to get home again. And I never went spotlighting again. So that is my story. It may have been an yowie. I don't know. I have no idea. I really can't even explain it. We don't have gorillas or apes or anything like that around these areas. This is Tasmania in Australia. Biggest thing we have here is, I have no idea, like possums, things like that. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you and yeah, keep it up. Thank you, Patrick. Now I know what many of you are thinking. What the hell is a yowie? Well, essentially, it's Australia's version of our Bigfoot. But let's let one of Australia's best-known cryptozoologists tell you more. As part of his research, Ray Doherty contacted the most famous Australian cryptozoologist, Gary Opit. So I'm approached by a lot of people like Ray Doherty and other researchers that have seen strange things in the forest and so so the yowie it looks very much like uh, the general impression of a yeti or a bigfoot or a sasquatch it looks very much like a large ape like creature the sightings are very similar there's been both males and females and the females have mammary glands you know uh, mammaries so it, it tends to show that they're most likely to be uh, a true primate. The females and young very rarely recorded, nearly always encounters with males. They, they act very similarly to, to encountering gorillas in the Congo. They don't like being seen, so they, they seem, I would imagine, to live in very small numbers and, and have very large territories. But of course, we've got no physical evidence of their existence whatsoever, which makes it so interesting. It's a true mystery. Gary Opit was a forest ranger in the area in the 1970s, and he has seen his fair share of strange and unexplained phenomena. And one night, something began beating upon the, uh, the ranger's quarters, which is just a small cabin in the rainforest, then went under the uh, house and threw all our tools out onto the lawn. And this was in pitch blackness, and this powerful series of roars came out of the forest, unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Like, yee, 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 booming call. And we wondered what on earth could do that? There was no animals that did that. Shortly afterwards, I think it was, that the head ranger came face to face with one. And he was cutting through a fallen tree that had fallen across the walking track and came face to face with an animal unlike anything that anyone had ever seen before. He went into virtual shock and they said it had a shiny black face, had a crested head like a sagittal crest. It was just like a gorilla to him. But he said it wasn't a gorilla, you can see it was a bit different. It was more bipedal. And that's the first time we had an idea of what this animal might look like. Because I was a natural skeptic, like how could this animal exist without us knowing about it? You know, after 200 years of European settlement, and but we've only got reports. That's the situation. The Owie. That clip is from the television series Boogeyman. Beware of the Owie. I've linked to the full episode in tonight's show notes. You can watch it for free over at YouTube. And if you want to learn more about the Yowie phenomenon, 
that's a great jumping off point. So thank you again, Patrick, for sending that one in. I wondered when the Yowie was finally going to show his face. Now this evening's next entry takes us back to the States. Arkansas, to be exact. This is Abigail's submission from Arkansas. Hi, Derek. My name is Abigail, and I am from Arkansas. Been a fan of your show for a while now, but thought it was time that I call in and tell my story. Interestingly enough, it's actually about my dad, and it's kind of been a family legend, fun little way to creep the grandkids out type of story, but I know it's true because of how my dad always tells the story. He's a big scoffer, doesn't believe in much, but I know for a fact that he definitely believes in this story. My dad was born in 1950s. He grew up in Floral, Arkansas, which is kind of, I would say, northern central Arkansas. It's a very small town. The closest town to it is Batesville, maybe a thousand people. He said that growing up, it was very, very small. Everybody knew everybody type of town. So the story takes place in the summer. Um, Again, I don't really know the exact year or date, but my dad said that he was probably 10 or 12, so maybe 1960, 62. And he went camping with his brother and his cousin in a field on their farm. And don't think a typical farm, think like rolling hills and woods and that type of farm. So there was plenty of places to camp and get lost and, you know, be a kid or whatever. They were camping. It was around twilight. And he said that they looked up. Something drew all of their eyes to this ridge. They were kind of in a valley, so they were looking above. And they noticed this man walking along the ridge. They kind of got a little creeped out because they knew that there was no one nearby. They weren't near their houses. He said that they were probably maybe a good mile from home, so it's not like there would have been anyone out there. He said that he was walking along the, the ridge, and my dad said that they just took off running after him because they wanted to know what was going on, as you know, typical boys would do. When they came upon him, my dad said it almost seemed like he was not running, but it was he was very hard for them to catch. And my dad said that he looked like he was Native American. He had a shirt off, was, you know, like shirtless, was very tall, broad-shouldered, and he had dark hair that was kind of in the Native American style. I don't, I don't really know what that means, but that's just what he says. And at the time, there weren't really that many Native Americans in the area, so he said that that was one of the first times that he'd ever actually seen someone of a different race. When they came upon him, they said that they got about maybe 300 feet away from him. And it was very interesting because he wasn't turning around or acknowledging them or anything like that, even though they were yelling at him, like, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? Type of thing. And then he said that once they sped up and ran as fast as they could to come upon him, he started walking down the hill that led into a different valley. And there were those summertime grasses, you know, that grow basically waist high, typical, you know, in any type of field. And he said that this person just kind of vanished in front of them. But what was weird is that the grasses continued to be parted as if, as if he was walking through them. My dad said at that point they both got, him and his brother and his cousin got extremely spooked and 
ran away from that, but he's never really forgotten that. And he said that, you know, both his brother and cousin have corroborated it, but they've never talked about it again because it really gave them this feeling that they were not alone. Try to do some research in the area to see if there's anything interesting that I could dig up. I wasn't really able to find anything, but I do want to know more. Really interested to find out if this is something important to Native American culture. I've tried to contact historians in the area, but because this is such a small town and many people have moved away, it's really hard to find anything of any significant. What's also interesting to me about this is that my family has been here on this land for a very, very long time, since the 1800s. And I would love to know if there is any information regarding them. And so, like I said, I've been trying to dig up something, but been unsuccessful so far. But because this is passing down to me, I would like to know if this is haunted or whatever you want to call it, mainly just because I want to be respectful of those who had it before. So anyway, this is kind of an interesting story, but... I have been to the farm recently, and I don't know if you call me sensitive or whatever, but I definitely felt like there was something there, some type of presence or whatever you want to call it. So I'm interested to go back at some point and walk along that same ridge line my dad walked along all those years ago and see if there's anything really going on there. So. I um, haven't heard much from Arkansas, so I would be interested to hear. There are some really wonderful haunted places here, and I would love to hear if anybody has any stories from uh, those areas. And the podcast is amazing. I so appreciate it. Thank you for everything that you do, and I look forward to hearing more spooky stories. Thanks so much, Derek. Bye. Thank you, Abigail. I can think of a handful of Arkansas legends that I'm sure were touched on at some point in the program's past. The Ozark Howler, the Crescent Hotel haunting, the Falk Monster, or the Beast of Boggy Creek. It sounds like any of those would be perfect for this year's installment of Hometown Legends. Hint, hint. By the way, it's not too late to get your story submitted. Just call the hotline at one 888 608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And it goes without saying that I'm also accepting other true personal paranormal encounters as well. Now, Abigail, this story really connected with me. Longtime listeners of the program may remember my story about seeing the apparition of a Native American dancing in my grandparents' guest bedroom. Well, the event happened at least three times during my five to six day visit. The apparition I saw was silhouetted by a set of closed blinds, so the colors and details were muted, but I could make out the body shape and the large feather bonnet or headdress. And like I said, it was dancing. The knees would bend and raise high to the chest and his arms would flail over his head. But the only time I could see the entity was through my peripheral vision. Whenever I turned my head to glean detail, it would simply be gone. Nothing in its place to possibly mistaken for a full-body apparition. In the experience Abigail's father had, 
doesn't seem all that different from mine. Although I will admit that there's probably a big difference between seeing something like this in the farmlands of Arkansas and seeing it in a double-wide trailer in the middle of Jacksonville, Florida. But one thing that perhaps makes our two experiences the most alike is that we were both roughly the same age when our encounters took place. And if Abigail's father's response was anywhere near mine, he was met with equal parts of curiosity and pure terror. Thank you again, Abigail. Maybe one of our listeners can help point you in the right direction to solve the mystery surrounding your farm. Now our next creepy encounter takes us to New England. This is Hillary's submission from Massachusetts. Hi Derek, my name is Hillary and in season 7 episode 10 you had a caller call in about Route 2 West near Boston. I'm also from the Boston area and I drive on Route 2 West kind of a lot. My girlfriend actually lives out in Worcester so that's usually the road I take to get out there. When you get out near Worcester, Route 2 isn't an elevated road anymore. It has walls on either side uh, for the lengths between Worcester and Fitchburg. About three years ago, she and I were going from Worcester, where we'd been all day at an event, to Fitchburg to go spend the night at our friend's house. It was about, I want to say, 9 or 10 at night. I don't really remember the specifics. We'd had a long day, but neither of us had been drinking or doing drugs or anything like that. We'd just been, you know, running around in the woods. And as we were driving down the road, it was it was fairly dark, but, you know, you could see pretty well because you have everybody's headlights, and we were going through a section that's kind of in the city-ish, or we were on the edge of Fitchburg at this point. And there's these big retaining walls that I mentioned on either side of the highway. And as we're driving along, I was looking up in my rear view pretty often. I was driving an older car. It didn't have a functioning speedometer. So I spent a lot of time trying to gauge how fast I was going compared to everybody else. So I looked in the mirrors a lot just to make sure that I didn't have a car too close up behind me. Instead, what I saw when I looked back in the mirror was a shadow in the shape of a person walking through the lane I had just driven through, not even half a second before, because this is a highway, so we were going 55 miles an hour easily, and we're talking this shadow was close enough that it probably could have reached out and touched my trunk, and I didn't exactly say anything. I just sort of made a noise, uh, sort of a confused, startled noise. And my girlfriend turned around to look back out the back window of the car. And she said, what's that? Do you, do you see that? And I said, the shadow? Yep. And neither of us could explain it doesn't make any sense for a person to be walking across the highway, not in a section that has these barrier walls. You would have to jump down eight to 10 feet to even get to the road surface. 
and then you'd have to climb up another one on the other side to get out. And that's above and beyond trying to cross traffic. That's not the only weird thing I've seen on Route 2, but it only seems to happen when we're on to west specifically. There's another section where you can go miles without seeing an exit, and we'll be driving down that section at night with headlights behind us. And my old car was, it was a Mercury Grand Marquis, so it's fairly low to the ground, and I would have a pretty good idea if, you know, how high the headlights of the car behind me were what size car it was. So if they were high enough that I was getting light in my mirrors, it was an SUV or a pickup truck. And there were a lot of times that we'd be going down the road on 2 West at night, and I'd be complaining for a while about this ass behind me with their high beams in my mirrors, and all of a sudden it would be gone. We didn't pass an exit. There were no turnoffs. There was nothing. And it doesn't make any sense for somebody to just turn their lights off on the highway. I couldn't tell the maker model of what was behind us. It was just a truck or a pickup truck, an SUV, something big. And then it would just be gone. And it didn't just happen once. It happened a few times. The shadow person on the highway only happened once. As far as I remember, it wasn't raining. It was just dark. The lights behind us, I've seen in the rain. I've seen it when it's not raining. But it only happens once it's dark out. It only happens at night. And it only happens on Route 2 West. I don't know what's going on with Route 2. All I know is I've told my friends this and people who live in the Worcester, Fitchburg area have also seen things like this, especially those headlights that just disappear. If you've got any explanation for how they're doing that when there's no exit, I'd love to hear it. And if anybody else has seen anything on Route 2 West, I'd love to hear that too. I love the show. Thank you so much for, for giving us a place to call in about things like this. I can't wait for the next episode. Thanks. Thank you, Hillary. It's not all that often that we hear about haunted roads or roads with some sort of paranormal attachment. But when we do hear of them, they're typically found in the northeast of the U.S. Places like Clinton Road, Riverview Drive, or Shades of Death Road, and of course, Route 2 West. So that got me wondering, why do all the haunted roads seem to be in the east? That's when I stumbled upon this gem out of America's heartland that I just had to share. By day, this country road outside of Nebraska City is like any other. The land is farmed, trees dot the landscape, unassuming. But this road, some say, has a dark history, one of murder, savagery. This is the Seven Sisters Road. There are many different variations of the legend, but the main one is that in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, a father, for some reason, got upset with his seven daughters, and he hanged them individually on hills, on trees on each of the seven hills that are on this road that lead down to the Missouri River. When the sun goes down, the pitch black, eerie night becomes a playground for restful spirits. 
Seven sisters reliving their fate, attacked by their evil father, over and over again. Then you hear things. You hear screams, you hear moans, you, you maybe catch a glimpse of white nightgowns in the distance or lights fluttering. Uh, there's all sorts of stories that happen. A word of caution if you dare to make the trip. The spirits won't let you pass free of charge. The car comes to a stop, and then you you know you get out and pop the hood, see what's wrong. Uh, if you if you're brave enough to get out of the car while you're parked on Seven Sisters Road, braving the road late at night, three News Now investigators had some experience of our own. What was that? Strange sounds coming from our microphones. It was like a oop. Fully charged batteries dying. It made our skin crawl. Local lore comes in different forms. Some say it's not even sisters, but an evil monster or a bear. It really depends on who you talk to. There was always some kind of a saying, there's spooks down there and everything else. The story evolves, the legend spreads, gaining infamy. What do you think about this being considered the most uh, haunted road in America? <laughs> well, uh, it could be, it could be. I'm not gonna go out of my way to come down here at night. I'm, <laughs> I don't wanna say that I believe in this sort of thing because that's kind of silly, but just in case. Reporting from the other side, Jeff Van Sant, 3 News Now. That clip comes courtesy of KMTV, CBS News 3 out of Omaha. Now the Seven Sisters haunting is not one that I was privy to prior to researching this episode. So that gives me hope that there are other, more westerly haunted roads left for us to uncover. So thank you again, Hillary, for shedding light on at least one of these lonely stretches. Oh, and as Hillary said, if you've had an experience on Route 2, hit us up. We'd love to hear about it. Now I'll tell you what. I have a collection of very strange entries to play this thing out. So let that be your final warning. But before we get there, I want to quickly remind everyone that you can access 30 plus episodes and several videos, as well as two new episodes each month for the measly penance of $4 a month. You can do all this by simply joining Monsters Among Us Beyond over on Patreon. Patreon is one of my biggest sources of income. So please consider subscribing today and keep these episodes flowing for years to come. Now, like I said, this might get a little weird. For example, we're going to kick this thing off with a story about a ghost of the four-legged variety. This is Matt's entry from the state of Arizona. Hey, Derek. My name is Matt. I'm a truck driver out of Safford, Arizona. About four or five years ago, 2014, late summer, I moved to Arizona from uh, Crestline, California. Took a job for a major hardware store. Anyways, moved there. I like to explore, you know, local museums, whatever I can find off the beaten path. I hear about this site called Fort Bowie, and it's uh, an old army fort where Geronimo surrendered uh, and was held captive a few times. There's a small museum there. 
uh, the old forts there, just basically beaten down adobe walls and uh, it's an old cemetery. Historical sites go out there and, and lots of people. You're you're allowed to go out there during the day, you know. It's like uh, or it's operated by the forest department. Anyways, uh, I met my wife here. We first started dating. We went on a date out. Took her out there on an adventure. Now, when it comes to paranormal, I'm pretty skeptical about hauntings, things like that. As a truck driver, I've seen I've seen lights in the sky, stuff like that. You can't explain. But when it really comes to paranormal, uh, I'm pretty skeptical. But anyways, we go out there. It's in the evening. Uh, it turns out we're not supposed to be out there after lights out, but we didn't know that in the first place. We head out there, uh, sack lunch, and a couple sandwiches, hike up there, see some deer, local wildlife, javelina, kind of like a pig. These things called munchies. They're like squirrel slash monkey raccoon things. They'll play into the story later on. We get up there, we explore around, we're looking around. We finally make it all the way to the back of the, uh, the, the trail. We explore the old abandoned cemetery. It's got a couple of Geronimo's children are buried there and a lot of old soldiers and pioneers. We get up there and there's like a ranger post. Sit down, eat our sandwiches, and there's a strange noise coming from the background. And it sounds like footsteps, but I know what it is because I grew up with horses and cattle and such. And it sounded like, like horse, like horses, but Horses traveling on concrete or or hard rock, you know, like shoot horses. So we're we're exploring around, but again, there's no one up there. Where the park, where you park at, there was no one there but us. When we left, there was no one there but us. We hear this faint sound. We look for it, look for it, can't find it, can't explain it. And again, it always sounded like to me, five, six or so horses, shoot, walking on hard surface, uh, like cavalry. Well, some time passes. Uh, I'm at work at the hardware store, and I run into some parks department people. And I, I talk to them about the area, and they happen to actually work up there. I ask them if they uh, if they ever travel up there by horseback, to keep horses up there, or anything like that. They said no. They have an access road to go up there to get up there with a the truck from the backside. Again, never really had any kind of paranormal experiences in my life, but uh, wasn't scared. But I'll tell you, that was really really something else. And to have my wife, my now wife there with me, she heard it too. And couldn't explain it. Could it have been deer on rocks? Possibly, but I want to say it really sounded like horse footsteps. There's ranches around there, but no horses, just kind of cattle and, and no rocks really. It's all sandy, so. Investigated the best I could. Tried to explain it the best I could. Anyways, I love your show. Uh, Thanks for hearing my call, and I uh, can't wait for your movie to come out. Have a good night, sir. Thank you, Matt. The phenomenon Matt reported is often claimed in war-torn areas. Gettysburg comes to mind as a location said to be haunted by the pounding hooves of horses. But if I'm honest, this story actually broadens our questioning in regards to ghost animals, but the thought of spectral work animals is another thing altogether. So thank you again, Matt. And I should add that the Arizona desert is home to another four-legged phantom, the legend of the Red Ghost. A military-issued camel said to carry a skeletal rider years after the escape of the animal and the rider's demise. Apples and oranges is now camels and horses. 
I'll see myself out. And speaking of out, Sarah is out in our mailroom feverishly shipping Monsters Among Us swag out as I write these very words. So don't miss out on the action. Visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click on that shop tab. We have a slew of goodies and more on the way. So get some cool gear, help the show grow, and it's a win-win. A huge thanks to all those already out there repping Monsters Among Us gear today. While the weirdness continues with Tim's entry from the land of 10,000 lakes. Hello, Derek. My name is Tim, and I'm calling from Minnesota. A huge fan of the podcast. I really love it. I've listened to every single one. I do have four different categories, and I know you like them one at a time, so I'll call back. But my four categories are uh, black cat sightings, ghosts, UFOs, and then something that's too weird to describe. So first is the black cat story. I first became interested in cryptids back in probably 1970 when a gentleman I was corresponding with from Ohio who was researching regular panthers in the upper Midwest and I talked to each other for a bit. He reported a black panther about 12 miles outside of La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I know the exact location. I've actually seen the tree that it was spotted in, but I never saw anything actually uh, in that area. However, on to my sighting, it was in 1971, and it was approximately uh, the middle of June. A friend of mine and I were driving to Cleveland, Ohio from La Crosse, Wisconsin, and we were driving along the northern edge of Indiana, right very close to the Michigan border. It was about 10 o'clock, maybe 10.30 at night, middle of nowhere. We were, you know, broke college students, so we were not taking the toll roads. We were driving on Highway 20, which is a two-lane road through, uh, through the northern Indiana. We were somewhere, I think, just west of Angola. And we stopped at a small gas station, small rural gas station, off this two-lane highway while we were getting a Coke or something. I noticed there was a photograph taped to the cash register of this gas station. And it was a few years old, not, not super old, but it was in color. So it was, you know, fairly modern photograph, maybe four or five years old. But asked the guy at the gas station about it. It was an older man wearing bib overalls and holding a single-barrel shotgun, holding up a dead black panther by the tail. That animal was about two and a half feet long minus the tail. And the man working at the gas station told us it was his grandfather who had shot the black panther in the area some three or four years earlier. It's been a long time since then. I really don't remember the exact timing. At any rate, as I said, this was about 10.30 at night. So we chit-chatted a bit, got back in the car and kept heading west. We were uh, again west of Angola. And we had gone maybe 20 miles down the road. And there on the right side of this two-lane road, so it was within three feet of the car, standing by a mailbox, was a black panther. We had it in the headlights long enough to get a good look at it. It did not run. It was not a cutout. It was about the body alone without the tail was about three and a half feet long, uh, and then it had the long, typical panther tail. But it was pure black. We saw the eyes, saw the teeth. Its mouth was open, but not snarling. The eyes did reflect slightly yellow. Please take my word for it when I tell you we were both stone sober. I grew up on a farm. I have hunted all my life. I know what animals look like. It was not a black lab. It was not a bear. The typical feline head, the little round ears, the length of the, the, the legs, 
the shape and position of the tail, this was a Black Panther. I'm of the group that I don't care if folks believe me or not, but we know what we saw. That's my first sighting. Thank you very much for the show. It's a great show, and I'll call you back uh, sometime with the rest of, of the information. Thank you, Tim. This one sticks out to me because there is, or at least was, photographic evidence of this creature. And not only that, but there was a body as well. So what happened to both of these pieces of evidence? Is there a mounted specimen somewhere? Someone's den or a tavern? Or is there a faded Polaroid still clinging to a dusty corkboard somewhere in northern Indiana? Well, I'll leave you with this final thought. Tim described the cat in the photos as two and a half feet long, sans the tail. The specimen he encountered, he estimated, to be about three and a half feet long. Though it may be slight, I think this detail holds some useful clues. If these creatures are to exist, they would have to reproduce. This could explain the discrepancy in Tim's description and serve as a further suggestion that these things are out there. I should know. I've seen one. All right. How is this for strange and unusual? Jackie from California claims to have seen a dinosaur, but I'll let her tell you the tale. Hi, this is Jackie Alvis from Orange, California. I've been a huge fan of your podcast and listen to it genuinely every day <laughs> on my three hour long commute to and from work. I actually just thought of this story the other day. Someone had asked me what was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. And, you know, a lot of times I struggle coming up with stuff to say. And then it actually came to me. And it was a story I'd never really shared with anybody else just because, I don't know, it seems so silly. But when I was little, probably about 10 or 11, my grandparents live uh, just outside of Detroit, kind of in a more rural area towards Lake Orion and Lake Snow Lake. And uh, there's this little farm out there, and they hold a summer camp for kids, where the kids will come in, they'll tell, you know, take care of the farm animals, stuff like that. So my mom had signed me up for it. And uh, every day, kind of halfway through the day, they would take all the kids kind of to the swimming hole, and we'd all swim for a couple hours. And then you had the option to ride the hay bale back, or you could uh, walk and kind of do this trail through the woods. And uh, I grew up in Idaho. I mean, I have been around the woods and the forest my entire life. So I'm walking back with a group of girls, like I said, we're probably 10 or 11 years old, and we all get this really weird, distinct feeling that we were being watched. You know, we kept turning around thinking it was another group of campers, and, you know, of course it wasn't. We kept looking around, looking around, thinking, you know, boys were trying to come up and scare us, and that didn't happen either. And we started hearing this screeching noise, like a high-pitched bird almost, but it was more deep, like in its throat, like it was really pitchy. And I thought that was weird. You know, it didn't sound like a barn owl because it was in the middle of the day. And it didn't sound like any other bird I'd ever heard. And I was like, okay, that's weird. We're walking around, you know, this dirt trail. And we see this animal print in the ground. And it looks, like, the best way I can describe it is like a chicken, like a chicken footprint, like three-toed, sort of. But it was just three-toed. It didn't have the kind of fourth dew claw that you see chickens have. And, um... 
and it was much larger. Obviously, it was much larger, probably about the size of my hand. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, definitely really weird. And so we're all starting to get creeped out. We're walking a little faster, kind of starting to lightly jog, wondering, you know, why it's taking us so long to get back to camp. And the woods finally open up, you know, and our hearts are starting to race, starting to get adrenaline. And it opens up into this great big pasture, these kind of rolling hills with these sheep. And I look over, and one of the sheep is totally dead. It has claw marks down its side. And, I mean, we were all just traumatized. We're 11-year-old girls, and this sheep is just coated in blood. And we look over, and there's another one limping along. And we see it with this other huge just this just gash down the side of its arm. And I was like, oh, my, oh my God, you know. And we hear that screech again, and we look over, and this animal runs over the hill kind of away from us. I'm going to sound nuts, but it, it looked like a raptor, like a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. And I was like, oh, my God, what the, you know, what the hell? And to this day, I don't know what I saw. I went home. I mean, I have been Googling and researching the area. I've never been able to find anything like it. But to this day, I'm still friends with some of those girls. Uh, we can't figure out what it was that we saw. Thanks. Hope you like my story. We appreciate the entry, Jackie. This one has me a bit stumped. Obviously, dinosaurs are not roaming the countryside of Michigan. So could this have been some sort of joke played on the girls? It was a summer camp after all. But how do you explain the dead and bloodied sheep? It all sounds a bit too elaborate be a simple prank. Now we have heard of reports of dinosaurs before, but again, that's pretty much impossible, right? Have I introduced you to my old friend, Mokele Mbembe, Africa's very own living dinosaur? Africa, the cradle of mankind. This continent contains some of the world's most magnificent wildlife. Among this vast wilderness, much of it unexplored, some believe there could be a monster that is a living relic, hidden deep in the jungle. This huge creature is said to prowl the land and lurk beneath inland waters. Natives call it Michele Mbembe, one that stops the flow of rivers. Eyewitnesses report seeing a creature with a long neck and a snake-like head. They say it has a body as big as an elephant with four legs, claw-like feet, and a long tail. That bite was pulled from History Channel's program, Monster Quest. Now, growing up, Mokele Mbembe was one of my favorite monsters. There was just something magical about the thought of a living dinosaur somewhere deep in the Congo. Now that I'm older, I realize that the creature's existence is not all that likely. But given the number of reports that have come in over the years, I'm still holding out a bit of hope. So thank you again, Jackie, for keeping that glimmer alive. Since Jackie made mention of being from Idaho, I decided let's stay in the gem state. The following was submitted by Mikey. Hi, Derek. This is Mikey from Haley, Idaho. I've called in a couple times in the past. Uh, I don't think I've shared this story with you, though. So the other one that I had called in about was either a 
giant bird or later I started to think it was possibly like a military suit some kind. But the reason I include that tidbit is because this uh, story took place probably no less than 10 miles from that, that camp site that that sighting took place on. This was at a place called Magic Reservoir, and we were all in high school. There were four of my friends, so this would have been like 2003, 2004. Anyway, uh, four of us had gone to go camping down at Magic Reservoir right on the water, and um, there was this really bright light off in the, on the horizon to the, be the west across the lake. And it was just hanging there, and it was too big to be a star or an airplane. And so, you know, for the amount of time it hung out, it was probably a good hour or two just kind of hung there in the sky. So we figured it must be a planet and just went on about our night. I mean, of course, we were having a couple beers, but nothing that would cause four men to or four boys to hallucinate the same light in the sky. Well, over time, you could tell that it was gradually getting bigger. It was gradually getting closer to us. And the strangest thing about the light is that it was casting this golden beam across the lake, even from a, a substantial distance. And this beam, I don't know how else to describe it. It was just a golden, it was so bright and substantial, and it was coming right up to our fire. And it actually looked as if you could walk on it, like it was a path across the, to the, to the point that we actually attempted to walk on it. Of course, our feet just fell right through into the water, but I started to go like, well, maybe lights normally do that. And we just weren't paying attention to it. So we're looking at the lights that are being cast from the houses across the lake and they're like glinting and flittering on the surface of the water, but none of them were creating this path straight to us. So... But, I mean, we were definitely intrigued, but there was nothing we could do. Well, slowly, 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 this thing got to where it was actually coming across the lake, right over our campfire. And it ended up coming right over us. And this thing had one giant light right on the front of it. And it couldn't have been more than maybe 100 feet Maybe a little bit more than that, but I felt like if I had tried, I could have hit it with a rock. I it was it was that close. Maybe I couldn't have hit it with a rock, but it, it felt close enough that you could. And um, all we had really was the the light from the fire, but you could clearly see the outline of this thing, and it was massive. It was, for lack of a, a better descriptive term it looked like the starship enterprise there was one gray oval shaped level and then kind of an arm reaching up to another same size same shape gray level and it made very very little noise it, it was almost it, it wasn't even a, the sound of a motor it was just kind of a just a low hum well I had one of those million candle watt spotlights that are really fun to play with that you can actually see the beam go off into the distance. And one of my friends went over and plugged it into the cigarette lighter because he was going to shine it on the bottom of this thing. 
And um, none of us were scared, but as soon as he went to grab that beam, I I remember I ran over to him and I slapped it out of his hand and I said, you are not getting me abducted tonight, which was humorous at the time and still humorous now. But I wish to this day that I had let him, but there was some, for some reason, like I said, we weren't scared, but as soon as he went to shine that thing at it, I got this terrible fear in my stomach and... I, but I wish, I wish to this day that I'd have let him shine it at this thing just so that we could see, you know, the texture and the real color if there was windows or anything. And I have actually talked to the four, the other three guys that were there with me since, and they all remember it just like I have described here tonight. We have no idea what it was. There's a couple things. So this was 2003, so our technology as far as like drones go, as far as public knowledge... There's no way there could have been a drone that big. It didn't have any wings. It didn't seem to have any sort of propulsion method. I mean, there was no flames coming out the back. The only possibly a a blimp, but uh, this is central Idaho in the middle of the desert in the middle of the night. There's no reason there would have been a blimp. But how slow it moved, that would be... But it was giant. I mean, it would have been probably the size of one and a half blimps. So each... One level was probably 40 feet across by 70 feet long, and then there was the arm reaching up to the second level and an identical, you know, 30 feet across, 70-foot-long saucer-shaped oval. Just like the other story I had called in, this is located probably 100 miles as the crow flies to... Mountain Home Air Force Base, and it was coming straight from the direction that Mountain Home Air Force Base should have been, so that's the only thing that I could really, could have been some sort of experimental craft from there, but it definitely could see us, and it knew that we could see it if there, if it was being piloted by something. There's no way, because it, it, it was almost like it intentionally came right over the fire. But yeah, then it just slowly proceeded to the east, and... Oh, there. I also did want to include there's also a naval base here in Idaho that's, um, I, I won't call it secret because there's public knowledge of it being there, but it's not nearly as well known as Mountain Home Air Force Base. It's called Lake Pendor Lay. And from anything that I've researched online, it basically says it's the only base to my knowledge that there are actually submarines in a deep lake, in a, in a freshwater lake in America, to my knowledge. And they say that it's for deep water acoustic research, whatever that means. But it is very secretive. So maybe it was something from there. Who knows? So anyway, I thought that you guys would enjoy that story. Having confirmation from three other individuals definitely helps me solidify it in my mind that that's actually how it happened. Of course, like everyone always says... I really love the podcast. Keep up the good work. But seriously, I I hope you're not going anywhere anytime soon because I love, love, love to listen to you. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Mikey, for yet another wild entry. In my opinion, the strips of U.S. military, the behavior of the craft, the description, it's all too familiar. That said... I was not able to find a known drone, military or civilian, that matched Mikey's description. Perhaps I just wasn't looking in the right place, or perhaps that technology simply isn't public knowledge. 
I also found the mention of a nearby military installment, especially the mention of Lake Pendorle. Very interesting. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because it's the general setting for Justin and Harley's Glimmerman experience that received a lot of attention over the past couple seasons. But would you believe it if I told you that I received another weird call from this same area? Hopefully, Brian of Idaho can shed some light on this mystery. Hi, Derek. My name is Brian, and I'm calling in regards to the Glimmerman reports you keep receiving. I want to preface that I did not personally see a glimmer man, but I believe my story still ties into this phenomenon. So my dad's side of the family actually lives in the panhandle of Idaho, where the initial couple reported the glimmer man and green screen. And I grew up taking vacation to my grandparents' summer home in Hope, Idaho, which is a small town next to Lake Ponderay. Just to give a brief description of the town, it's about a 30-minute drive from Sandpoint, and you take a two-lane highway along the coast of the lake to get there. It's a small town, and it's not uncommon to see Don't Tread on Me and Confederate flags in people's yards. There are also lots of dirt roads that leave off the highway. You have to know where they are. You'll be going too fast to turn into them. I remember as teenagers taking some of these dirt trails through the forest, and we came across a beware of bear sign that had several shotgun holes in it, and we nervously joked that it should say beware of humans. Anyways... Growing up, my family would hire fishermen to take us on their boats for the afternoon. It was no secret among the locals that the lake had been used during World War II for submarine training. Some of them even went as far as to say that there were still submarines caught on sonar, and there was speculation that there are underwater military bases in the lake. I'm now in my 30s, and my aunt currently lives in my grandparents' old house. I still visit every year or so. A few years back, me and my girlfriend went there to house it for my aunt while she went on a vacation. We were more there to dog sit her new puppy, and by puppy I mean a year-old, full-grown German Shepherd named Wren. Yes, after Wren Tintin. My aunt had the dog fairly well behaved and it could sit, shake, etc. And overall it was a good dog, but definitely still bounced around like a puppy, always wanting to chase squirrels in the backyard, and curious about everything. We never had any real problems with Wren, and I was even starting to get comfortable enough to let her run around in the nearby fields without a leash on voice command. So we had a pretty good relationship going with the dog. One day we decided to check out a nearby lake I found on Google Maps called Antelope Lake, which was not too far from my aunt's house. Again, the entrance was a small dirt road we passed twice before finally knowing where to slow down on the highway. We drove about five minutes and then had to pull the car off to the side of the road where the trail had started. Me, my girlfriend, and Wren hiked up the trail about 20 minutes and finally came upon a very small lake you could see all the way across. There's maybe a handful of other people on this side of the lake where the trail ended, so I suggested we try to make a lap around the lake, which I estimated would take about 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the terrain. We set off alongside the lake. I found a small game trail. It didn't look like it got much foot traffic by how narrow it was, but there was a definite path through the forest we could follow. We got about halfway around the lake, and you could barely make out the people on the other side and faintly hear their voices carrying across the water. It was a bright, sunny, warm afternoon. It was a very peaceful and scenic walk through the trees. We were slowly making our way around when all of a sudden our dog ran and stopped. I turned to my girlfriend behind us and did a shh gesture. We all stood quietly trying to see what it was. I assumed it was a deer or possibly even a bear. 
I saw no movement or heard anything other than the leaves blowing in the wind. After a minute of standing still looking, I decided to get closer, but Rin was still fixated in the same spot with her eyes locked on something in front of us. I gently pulled her collar and told her to come, but she would not budge or turn her eyes from whatever she saw. I began to think maybe it was a bear and take the dog's senses as clues, so we slowly turned around and started walking back. Within 10 seconds, Rin was back to being a puppy with her tongue out, sniffing everything we passed. This seemed odd to me, so a minute later I decided we should turn around and try going down the path again, hoping whatever it was had moved along. We started to go back down the trail, but nearly the same spot, Rin stopped and started staring at something in front of us. She didn't growl or act aggressive, just stood completely still with her ears perked up and her eyes fixated on something. I still couldn't see or hear anything and began to get frustrated that this puppy was keeping me from following the trail. I began to tug on her leash, telling her to come, but eventually it was pulling hard enough that the collar was starting to come off over her head. And the whole time I'm pulling her collar and telling her to come, her eyes are locked on something in front of us and had her paws dug in the ground and not let me move her forward another inch. So after a few seconds of realizing she was not budging, I started to get the hint that I should trust this dog's instincts and not continue forward. We turned around again, and again within 10 seconds, Rin was back to acting like a puppy as if nothing had happened. To this day, I have no idea what the dog saw, whether it was a Glimmerman, a Bigfoot, or maybe a bear on a bad hair day, I don't know. But listening to that couple's story so close to my family's house made me remember that event, and I wanted to call it in. Anyways, I appreciate it and love the podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. Obviously, this is not a confirmed Glimmerman sighting. But as Brian said, something had to have spooked that dog. And given the activity previously reported from the state of Idaho, I suppose Glimmerman is an obvious contender. But those thoughts got me wondering, and wondering led to digging. And I found a collection of Glimmerman experiences I've never heard before. One, practically, from my hometown. In Columbus, Ohio, in August of 2001, a man named Justin was staying at his mother's house. While watching TV at around 10 o'clock at night, he suddenly noticed how their dogs were nowhere to be seen, which was an oddity since they normally cuddled up with him. This made Justin a little concerned, but he didn't think much about it. As the night progressed, he couldn't shake the feeling that he wasn't alone in the house, which he should have been since his mother was at work. As he looked around the room, he noticed something odd standing near the entryway to the dining room. Justin said he could only describe it as the predator in cloaked form. It was human-shaped and stood around 5'7". While watching it for a while, it didn't move, but then very suddenly lurched forward and ran across the room. Not sure what to do, Justin covered his eyes and waited for the inevitable. He said he even felt a burst of air sweep over his body, as it would if someone suddenly run by him. After quite a few minutes without any incident, he finally uncovered his eyes and found he was alone again. Justin went to the game room in the house and grabbed a baseball bat and began searching. The being was apparently gone, but he did find the dogs cowering under a computer desk upstairs. Now that clip is from the Glimmerman video from YouTube user Ben Miller. Ben's channel is pretty awesome. And like I said, his Glimmerman video has several first-hand accounts that I highly suggest you check out. 
Now, I thought this particular story was relevant not only because it occurred in a city I love and once lived in, but also because of the reaction of the dogs. I don't yet know the significance of that connection, but it's as good a lead as any. So thank you again, Brian, for sharing your entry. Something tells me this isn't the last we've heard of the Glimmer Man. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the bone-rattling background music that you're hearing. And that's co.ag. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe. And until next week. Tonight's bonus story comes to us from Matthew in the state of Pennsylvania. Hey, this is Matthew Shang out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have a story about me and my friend who used to go night hiking. This was probably back, oh gosh, 2012. We were in western New York and we kind of just choose a direction and go and walk. And we started at like 10 o'clock at night. We were walking and it was getting late, so we decided to camp. And as we were setting up our tent, we heard something heavy moving in the hills around us, like something really heavy. So we were like, okay, well, I don't want to mess with any like black bears or anything big. So we're like, okay, let's go a little bit further, then we'll set up camp. So we set up camp and all of a sudden something from the woods, we were still surrounded by, by hills, something from the woods started throwing things at us and they were landing in the pond next to us and i was like okay so it could be like a beaver smacking its tail or something it continued and then all of a sudden one of the objects that were thrown actually hit the ground next to the tent so it stopped and we kind of just waited there for a while so we went to bed and all of a sudden we woke up and started hearing like shuffling around the tent and there was this wheezing sound I uh, can't really describe. It was like someone was sick. Someone had like lung issues or something. So super creepy. And we thought that like, okay, so this, let's stay in the tent. This animal might go away. And then it made like grunt or a cough. So that lasted about 15 minutes. It went away. We could hear it walking away in the distance, which was strange because we actually heard footsteps. Now, this is in the middle of, of Western New York, way out in the, in the trees, and it's thick there. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my story. It's super strange. 
you know, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Keep the episodes coming because it's super informative and uh, makes the day pass by. Have a good one. Thank you, Matthew. It might not seem obvious or even possible, but the rural reaches of upstate New York have long held legends of wild men. The mere mention of Bear Road outside of Whitehall reminds many of their brush with the beast in the 1970s. If you'd like to learn more on that flap, check out Small Town Monsters, The Beast of Whitehall. Seth and the gang cover the infamous encounters in depth, and they do so with an entertaining flair. So thanks again, Matthew, for sharing, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night. <laughs>